The paint was going, but you could just about read it. It said, Furniture and Antiques. My foot eased on the accelerator as a simple reflex. You never know, especially with these dingy little places. The big towns and the tourist places are hopeless. Practically nothing there, and speculative prices for what there is, well over honest London rates. But this was a third-class manufacturing town. And the shop was pure junk in an outlying street. I put the car round a left-hand corner in a small brick side street of unrelieved ugliness. I got out and put on an old Macintosh. My speech was undisguisably southern, but at least I did not look like a visitor. I might be in any sort of business. I walked back past a window loaded with every sort of small stuff. I felt slightly sick and knew that there was a vein throbbing on the right side of my temple. It is an odd business, this collector's passion. I have not read the psychologists on the subject, but I have no doubt it is a substitute for some more honest emotion. Not sex, I think. More likely the hunting instinct, or something from the food-gathering Mesolithic. It is certainly a disease of civilization, and most civilizations formalize sex rather than overlay it. Also, although I know it is easy for one collector to deride another, it surely makes some difference what you collect. I may be a bit silly at times, but the man who would do murder for a cigarette card is obviously a case. I turned back, opened the door, and went in. The door rang an electric bell. This was not the industrial Midlands for nothing, but there was no one there. It was cluttered almost to the ceiling, I ignored the furniture and brass, the rolled-up carpets and the folded stacks of dead men's blankets. I peered through them, but there was nothing behind them. I made for the shelves at the back of the shop. There was some china, one bit probably worth looking at for anyone interested in china, and behind it, three rows of dusty glass. The man appeared suddenly from behind a mahogany wardrobe. There must have been a door in the side wall. He was a bit withered, but not seedy. He would probably have a pension of sorts, and junk was only a sideline. He had the Midlander's expression of anticipated outrage. I said, Good morning, sorry to bother you, because I felt he expected an apology for my coming in at all. He grunted, but his suspicion was unallayed. I said, I wonder if there was anything one could put flowers in. Something small. Niece of mine likes old bits. He dragged his eyes away from mine reluctantly, as if he did not know what I might be looking at unless he held them. He looked disparagingly round the shop. I don't know, he said. Sort of a vase? Yes, or an old jug or a mug or something. Even an old glass. I don't want anything big. He said, Seen anything in the window? He still wanted to know why I had come in at all. I didn't look properly. Might be something. I picked up an Edwardian milk jug and turned it round in my hands, daring him to go to the window and leave me unwatched. He hesitated and then went. He moved a table and a couple of folding picture frames collapsed in a small cloud of dust. He muttered and stooped to pick them up. I was already at the shelf of glass, looking behind the chipped jugs and the uncouth moulded tumblers. My mouth was dry. 
There is no mistaking the gleam of 18th century glass. I still think it is a passion you need not be ashamed of, unless you let it get out of hand. It is a characteristic product of the ultimate flowering of our civilization, before industrialization brought wealth and mechanization, and they started to carbonado even a good quality glass till it looked like cheap paste. There was just that hundred years or so between the time they learnt to change the composition of George Ravenscroft's glass so that it did not crizzle and the